Turn with me in your Bibles to our text for this Lord's Day as it's found in Daniel chapter 5. Verses 10 through 24. This portion that we are considering today continues after the Lord has uh, miraculously uh, written upon the wall wherein Belshazzar was a message, a mysterious message that even his wise men, Belshazzar's wise men, could not read or understand. And uh, this is all for the purpose of bringing one who was the servant of God, the prophet of God, to bring uh, God's charge, uh, God's accusations to prosecute his case against Belshazzar through Daniel. And so let us continue in Daniel chapter 5, verse 10 through verse 40, uh, 24. Now the queen, by reason of the words of the king and his lords, came into the banquet house, and the queen spake and said, O king, live forever. Let not thy thoughts trouble thee, nor let thy countenance be changed. There is a man in thy kingdom in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. And in the days of thy father, light and understanding and wisdom, like the wisdom of the gods, was found in him, whom the king Nebuchadnezzar, thy father, the king, I say, thy father made master of the magicians, astrologers, Chaldeans, and soothsayers. For as much as an excellent spirit in knowledge and understanding, interpreting of dreams and showing of hard sentences and dissolving of doubts were found in the same Daniel, whom the king named Belteshazzar. Now let Daniel be called, and he will show the interpretation. Then was Daniel brought in before the king, and the king spake and said unto Daniel, Art thou that Daniel which art of the children of the captivity of Judah, whom the king my father brought out of Jewry? I have even heard of thee, that the spirit of the gods is in thee, that light and understanding and excellent wisdom is found in thee. And now the wise men, the astrologers, have been brought in before me, that they should read this writing and make known unto me the interpretation thereof. But they could not show the interpretation of the thing. And I have heard of thee, that thou canst make interpretations and dissolve doubts. Now if thou canst read the writing and make known to me the interpretation thereof, Thou shalt be clothed with scarlet and have a chain of gold about thy neck and shalt be the third ruler in the kingdom. Then Daniel answered and said before the king, Let thy gifts be to thyself and give thy rewards to another. Yet I will read the writing unto the king and make known to him the interpretation. 
O thou king, the most high God gave Nebuchadnezzar, thy father, a kingdom, and majesty and glory and honor. And for the majesty that he gave him, all people, nations, and languages trembled and feared before him, whom he would he slew, and whom he would he kept alive, and whom he would he set up, and whom he would he put down. But when his heart was lifted up and his mind hardened in pride, he was deposed from his kingly throne, and they took his glory from him. And he was driven from the sons of men, and his heart was made like the beasts, and his dwelling was with the wild asses. They fed him with grass like oxen, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven, till he knew that the Most High God ruled in the kingdom of men, and that he appointed over it whomsoever he will. And thou, his son, O Belshazzar, hast not humbled thine heart, though thou knewest all this, but hast lifted up thyself against the Lord of heaven. And they have brought the vessels of his house before thee, and thou and thy lords, thy wives and thy concubines have drunk wine in them. And thou hast praised the gods of silver and gold, of brass, iron, wood, and stone, which see not, nor hear, nor know. And the God in whose hand thy breath is, and whose are all thy ways, hast thou not glorified. Then was the part of the hand sent from him, and this writing was written. <clears throat> In the scripture we find very often that God sent his holy prophets, ministers of his, to his ancient people Israel, uh, to bring charges against Israel, like a lawsuit bring charges against Israel, his covenant people, for their rebellion, their violation of God's covenant with them, their violation of God's commandments that he had given to them uh, in love, uh, to guide them, to teach them, to instruct them, to show to them their sin, to show to him, them his will for their nation and for their families and for their individual lives. The Lord was merciful to Israel. And he not only sent uh, prophets to Israel, his covenant people, but as we see even in uh, the book of Daniel, he sent his prophet also to heathen nations as well, like in this case, uh, to Babylon. Uh, he sent Daniel uh, to speak to the kings of, of Babylon, to bring against them as well, heathen kings, Gentile kings, uh, likewise charges as a prosecuting attorney to lay before these kings how they had violated the light that God had given to them how they had uh, turned in pride to go their own willful and their own rebellious ways. We live in a nation in which we are, dear ones, not less accountable to God 
Uh, but I would submit you are even more accountable to God because we have more light than did those heathen kings of old, Nebuchadnezzar and Belshazzar, to whom much is given, much is required, Jesus said in Luke 12, 48. Christ's ministers uh, in this present day and age are called uh, to bring nations, as it were, to the bar of God's justice, to bring leaders to the bar of God's justice and to say, what are you doing? Why are you doing what you're doing? You're violating God's holy word, God's commandments, which he has given. You are going your own way, much like Nebuchadnezzar did, much like Belshazzar did. And so we are called as ministers of Jesus Christ uh, to likewise proclaim to nations, to leaders, uh, that uh, they too uh, stand before God's bar of justice and they will be tried as these kings were tried in the book of Daniel. And yet Belshazzar, though brought before God's bar of justice, uh, did not turn uh, from his own rebellion, his own pride, his own wicked ways, did not repent, did not seek out the mercy of God, but stubbornly traveled down <clears throat> that path uh, to his own judgment. May the Lord deliver us from having to travel down and face that judgment of God. Ra rather, may we, as God's people, turn from that path of judgment and flee to the Lord God and his mercy as he proclaims his word to us today. The main points from our text today are these. First of all, the queen mother recommends Daniel be called in Daniel 5, verses 10 through 12. The second main point, <clears throat> Belshazzar appeals to Daniel. In Daniel chapter 5, verses 13 through 16. And the third main point, Daniel prosecutes Belshazzar before God's bar of justice. In Daniel 5, verses 17 through 24. So our first main point, the queen mother recommends Daniel be called. In verses 10 through 12, note, now the queen, by reason of the words of the king and his lords, came into the banquet house, and the queen spake and said, O king, live forever. Let not thy thoughts trouble thee, nor let thy countenance be changed. There is a man in thy kingdom in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. And in the days of thy father, light and understanding and wisdom, like the wisdom of the gods, was found in him, whom the king Nebuchadnezzar, thy father, the king, I say, thy father, <clears throat> made master of the magicians, astrologers, Chaldeans, and soothsayers. For as much as an excellent spirit in knowledge and understanding, interpreting of dreams, and showing of hard sentences, and dissolving of doubts were found in the same Daniel, whom the king named Belteshazzar. Now let Daniel be called, and he will show 
the interpretation. As we saw in the last portion, verses 1 through 9 of Daniel 5, God crashed the drunken and blasphemous party of King Belshazzar on the eve of Babylon being invaded by the troops of the Medes and the Persians. While Belshazzar profaned the Lord God by calling for the holy vessels taken from the temple by Nebuchadnezzar, taken from the temple in Jerusalem, and mocking the one true living God as they drank to their fill, to their drunken fill from them. And as they praised their gods, the gods of Babylon, in whom they trusted for their protection from the Medes and the Persians, a mysterious, remember, a mysterious hand appeared in the banquet hall and wrote upon the wall in some uh, unknown language, some language that uh, neither he nor his wise men could read nor understand, a message which shook Belshazzar to the very core of his being, literally shook him. Not just figuratively speaking shook him, but from his waist down, the language is that he was shaking violently. His countenance went from being uh, red and with the wine to being completely white, we are told. And so he called for his wise men uh, to read and to interpret the ominous writing there upon the wall. His wise men were unable to do so, as we have found in previously, uh, his, the wise men of King Nebuchadnezzar were not able to interpret either the dreams that Nebuchadnezzar had. And so likewise here, the writing on the wall, they're not able to read or interpret the writing on the wall. But God's man, Daniel, in whom dwells the spirit of the living God, is able by God's grace, through God's gift, to be able to not only interpret dreams, but to understand the strange writing uh, on the wall, to read it, and to give meaning and interpretation to it. So when all seemed basically hopeless to Belshazzar, that he would never know what that writing meant, Although, again, it was, to him, ominous, it was fearful, uh, it, it nevertheless was something he could not understand. And so uh, he knew it was bad. He knew it wasn't a good news. And yet he couldn't, uh, without uh, help coming from God Almighty, uh, he realized that he could not uh, do anything Uh, about it. He was in a hopeless situation to understand. But just about that time, uh, there appears in the banquet hall a most influential person in the royal family. We read in verse 10, now the queen, the queen appears at this most opportune time in order to counsel Belshazzar where he would be able to find uh, the meaning of this mysterious 
writing upon the wall. Now this was most likely, uh, this person was most likely not Belshazzar's wife, the queen, for Belshazzar's wives and concubines, we are told in Daniel 5.2, were all present at this drunken party. The queen here was most likely the queen mother, the queen mother. That is the mother of Belshazzar and the wife of absent King Nabonidus. Scholars have uh, uh, likewise proposed that this uh, queen mother uh, was also the daughter of the great King Nebuchadnezzar. Why has this been suggested? What from the text might lead them to uh, make such a proposal that this was the daughter of Nebuchadnezzar? Well, three things in, in particular from our text. First of all, uh, she does not uh, apparently need a request uh, to enter the banquet hall, but just enters, as it were, upon her own authority. Uh, she enters because she has a very significant status. She's very influential. And in that particular culture, uh, in the, those cultures at that time, the queen mother had that type of influence uh, with uh, the, the, the son who reigned. Secondly, she happens to recount with a very personal familiarity the history of Daniel interpreting the, uh, King Nebuchadnezzar's dream as one who was very close to that situation. Doesn't appear to be relating this as uh, someone who's a stranger, someone who is outside far distant to what happened in Daniel interpreting, but someone who, who seems to know very closely that whole situation as she recounts what Daniel did. And then thirdly, Nebuchadnezzar uh, is called here Belshazzar's father in verse 11, <clears throat> which if the daughter of Nebuchadnezzar married Nabonidus, which was then Belshazzar's father, Nebuchadnezzar would be Belshazzar's grandfather, biological grandfather. As we looked at the word father last Lord's Day we and son, in the Aramaic language, uh, it doesn't necessarily refer to one who is immediately the biological father of, of uh, one or the biological son of one, but can refer to one who is simply biologically uh, an ancestor. And certainly a grandfather would qualify in this particular case as being uh, a father. Nebuchadnezzar would, according to Aramaic usage of the terms, be the father of Belshazzar, if indeed his mother 
was Nebuchadnezzar's daughter. Well, the queen mother here gives very high praise to Daniel and counsels Belshazzar to call for Daniel. And she assures Belshazzar that Daniel will be able to interpret the writing in verses 11 through 12. She reasons that if the great Nebuchadnezzar, his father, Belshazzar's father, valued Daniel so highly that Nebuchadnezzar called for Daniel to interpret his dreams, then Belshazzar, the son, would do well to value Daniel's gifts as well. Is not this uh, ironic? Here is the queen mother building up Daniel, the prophet of God, whom Belshazzar has just been blaspheming, namely one true living God, whom Belshazzar has just been profaning and had a drunken party out of which he then brings the, the holy vessels from the temple to drink out of to, in order to directly profane the one true living God. And now it is his own mother that comes and says, call for Daniel, the prophet of this very one God that you have been profaning and blaspheming. Call for him. To come and he will interpret the writing that is upon the wall. For the spirit of the holy gods dwells within him. This is the same terminology that was used by Nebuchadnezzar back uh, in when Nebuchadnezzar had uh, his dream in chapter 4. He used the, the same <coughs> phrase in verse 8. Chapter 4, verse 8, verse 9, and verse 18. The Spirit of the Holy Gods is how it's translated in the King James Version. We noted at that time uh, that the, the word gods uh, is also uh, the word that is used uh, for the one true living God. It is in the plural, uh, but again, uh, the... Uh, the plural of majesty uh, in uh, both Aramaic and Hebrew is used for the one true living God so that uh, in Hebrew Elohim um, is again the plural of El. Um, El refers to God, Elohim is God's literally but it many many times throughout the Old Testament refers to the one true living God uh, as I said uh, and, and as we noted in a previous sermon uh, so likewise here, it may be that this queen mother was saying uh, that the spirit of the holy God dwells within Daniel. And I tend to think that's a better translation because the heathens didn't view their gods as being holy. Uh, the one true God uh, of Daniel uh, revealed himself to be a holy God. But the gods of the heathens uh, were anything but holy. Uh, they, are, they were filled with all types of sin and corruption and dastardly deeds. 
um, uh, in uh, the, uh, the myths that are told concerning their gods. Well, this is not a good sign, is it? This is not a good sign of things to come for Belshazzar. When the God whom he has profaned and blasphemed is the very one and the only one who can rescue him and give to him the interpretation of the writing that is upon the wall. He must turn to this God that he's blasphemed in order to have the meaning of, that, of those words upon the wall. The second main point, Belshazzar appeals to Daniel, verses 13 through 16. Then was Daniel brought in before the king. And the king spake and said unto Daniel, Art thou that Daniel which art of the children of the captivity of Judah, whom the king my father brought out of Jewry? I have even heard of thee, that the spirit of the gods is in thee, that light and understanding and excellent wisdom is found in thee. And now the wise men, the astrologers, have been brought in before me, that they should read this writing and make known unto me the interpretation thereof. But they could not show the interpretation of the thing. And I have heard of thee, that thou canst make interpretations and dissolve doubts. Now if thou canst read the writing and make known to me the interpretation thereof, thou shalt be clothed with scarlet and have a chain of gold about thy neck and shalt be the third ruler in the kingdom. As Daniel is brought before King Belshazzar, Daniel is here about 82 years of age. And uh, Daniel would seem but a faint memory of the past to Belshazzar. Belshazzar's question uh, to Daniel here uh, shows some knowledge of who Daniel was by way of his reputation but not a familiarity with Daniel, not a, a near relationship at all with Daniel, quite the opposite. Belshazzar uses Daniel's Hebrew name, uh, and, uh, namely Daniel, and reminds Daniel uh, that he is a lowly Jew taken captive by his father Nebuchadnezzar in verse 13. So, Neb, uh, Belshazzar here thinks uh, by so doing, reminding uh, Daniel of his low status, exalt Belshazzar, therefore exalting himself, that he's basically putting Belshazzar or putting Daniel in his place. However, Belshazzar has a surprise coming in just a few moments, a few minutes, in that Daniel is the one who will be putting Belshazzar in his place. Belshazzar relates what he has heard about the divine knowledge 
the wisdom of Daniel in verse 14, which is, as you recall, his mother, the queen mother had related in verses 11 through 12 as well concerning Daniel, all of these gifts that God had given uh, to Daniel. And then Belshazzar proceeds to inform Daniel that the wise men of Babylon were unable with all of their so-called wisdom, a worldly wisdom, with all of their so-called wisdom, they were unable to read or to interpret, translate the writing that was upon the wall in verse 15. So here God corners the high-minded Belshazzar so that he has nowhere else to turn but to the very God that he despises. Why do the wicked cry out to God in calamities? Why do the wicked and the unbelieving cry out, God, if you're there, help me? Why do they do that? They, they then bargain with God. In their heart of hearts, they know that only he can help. They profess in emergencies what they deny at all other times. They profane him in, at all other times. They treat him like Belshazzar treated the one true living God. But then, in emergencies, they cry out to him. Again, it shows in their heart of hearts, they, they know that God is, that he is able. But they are not willing to, to profess him in true faith, in love, and obedience. They are not willing to, to follow him. They're not willing to take him as Lord and as Savior. Those who truly trust in Jesus do not just cry out to Jesus in a desperate situation or in an emergency. One way and one indication of true saving faith is we who trust in him cry out, him, out to him at all times. Every day we cry out to him, the living God, not just in those desperation times, but we cry out to him every day because we thank him, we praise him, we want to live for him, we want his love to be lived out in our lives. We want to grow in the grace and knowledge of Christ. We want to commune with him and fellowship with him. And so for the wicked, it's calling out to a stranger that they do not know. Whereas to us, we are calling out to a friend. One who loves us with an everlasting love. Yes, we cry out to him in emergencies. 
but that's not the only time we call out to him. And he hears our cry in emergencies because we, again, have been reconciled unto him through the Lord Jesus Christ. Belshazzar promises Daniel in verse 16 the same exaltation and honor that he had promised uh, to his own wise men. He promised to him that uh, he would be clothed with scarlet, a royal robe, chain of gold about his neck, another sign of great honor, and then that he would be the third ruler in the kingdom after Nabonidus and then Belshazzar, and he promises Daniel he would be the third ruler after those two. Again, does this not show the desperation of Belshazzar? He not only calls Daniel, who is a prophet of the one true living God, that a God whom he has just recently profaned and blasphemed, but then promises to Daniel the same reward that he had promised to his own wise men. Belshazzar doesn't want dear ones here to know God's will because he delights to do God's will. He wants to know God's will because he fears God's judgment. He fears God's judgment, which leads us to ask and, and to seek answer within our own lives. Why do we want to know God's will? What motivates us as Christians to follow the Lord Jesus, to desire to obey his commandments? That's what should motivate us to love him, to trust him, to obey him, to want to know his will so that we can walk in accordance with his will. Not because we fear God's eternal judgment and condemnation. 1 John 4.18 we read, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear, because fear hath torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. Belshazzar was not made perfect in love. Love for God, having received the love of God. And therefore he feared God's judgment. He didn't know exactly what that writing on the wall said, but he knew it wasn't good. He knew it was, again, supernatural. He knew he had just profaned this holy God, and this holy God showed up and crashed the party. He knew that much. But dear ones, for us, we don't want to know God's will. We don't desire to know God's will because we are doing so out of some slavish bondage and fear, waiting for God's sword to fall swiftly over our heads. But as Christians, 
who have been delivered from God's wrath and condemnation through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ who bore that punishment for us. We desire to know God's will because we delight to do it, because we want to do it, because it brings us joy, because we seek to please God above everyone else. Indeed, we are to have a holy fear of God. That is, by that, we are to have a reverence for God. We are to take God seriously. We are to take the warnings of God seriously. We are to take the promises of God seriously. Both of those. But dear ones, that's quite different than cowering under the wrath of God, waiting for God's judgment simply to fall upon us every step that we take. Sadly, many people live in that kind of fear, but we do not have to. If we, again, are trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ, who has borne God's wrath and judgment for us, we obey God it's because it's a, it is our duty to do so, yes. Because God commands us. Because he's Lord. But the child of God goes much farther than simply obeying God because it's our duty to do so. The child of God and his response and her response to God's commandments is out of love as well gratitude and thanksgiving for all that the Lord has given to us and done for us in Jesus Christ. Dear ones, if we're only, if we're only obeying God out of duty, I dare say that your obedience is going to be a great burden to you. But if you are obeying God out of love, love for God, love for Jesus Christ, thankfulness in your heart, then your obedience will be out of joy. Your, your obedience will be uh, out of peace, out of contentment, delight to walk in his commandments. Fear will make serving Christ a burden. Love will make serving Christ a joy. The third main point, Daniel prosecutes Belshazzar before God's bar of justice in Daniel 5, verses 17 through 24. Then Daniel answered and said before the king, let thy gifts be to thyself and give thy rewards to another. Yet I will read the writing unto the king and make known to him the interpretation. O thou king, the Most High God gave Nebuchadnezzar thy father a kingdom and majesty and glory and honor. And for the majesty that he gave him, all people, nations, and languages trembled and feared before him. Whom he would, he slew. And whom he would, he kept alive. And whom he would, he set up. And whom he would, he put down. But when his heart was lifted up, 
and his mind hardened in pride, he was deposed from his kingly throne, and they took his glory from him. And he was driven from the sons of men, and his heart was made like the beasts, and his dwelling was with the wild asses. They fed him with grass like oxen, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven, till he knew that the Most High God ruled in the kingdom of men, and that he appointed over it whomsoever he will. And thou, his son, O Belshazzar, hast not humbled thine heart, though thou knewest all this, but hast lifted up thyself against the Lord of heaven. And they have brought the vessels of his house before thee, and thou and thy lords, thy wives and thy concubines, have drunk wine in them. And thou hast praised the gods of silver and gold, of brass, iron, wood, and stone, which see not, nor hear, nor know. And the God in whose hand thy breath is, and whose are all thy ways, hast thou not glorified. Then was the part of the hand sent from him, and this writing was written. That last verse we read, verse 24, Daniel says the reason that the hand was sent and the writing appeared upon the wall was because of what he had just brought by way of prosecution against Belshazzar and how Belshazzar had glorified himself, how Belshazzar had profaned God, how Belshazzar had blasphemed God, how he had not listened to, how he had not heeded the message which God had brought to Belshazzar through the events that happened to Nebuchadnezzar. Daniel does not come here as a mere witness against Belshazzar, but I submit again, he rather comes as God's prosecutor. Belshazzar is the accused. Daniel is the prosecutor. And the Most High God is the judge. Belshazzar thought he was bringing Daniel into his court. But God brings Belshazzar into his court to hear the charges brought against him before the writing on the wall is read and interpreted. You see, dear ones, talking about courts, there are two courts that every human being, every mere human being, conceived, born by natural, ordinary generation, will face. One of two courts every one of us will face. Either the court of justification or the court of condemnation. You see, dear ones, the court of justification is God declaring sinners who receive and trust Jesus Christ alone for their eternal salvation as righteous in his sight, perfectly righteous, as righteous as Jesus himself is, forgiving all 
of their iniquity and their sin and accounting to them the righteousness, the perfect righteousness of Christ so that they stand before God, not in their own righteousness, but in the righteousness of Christ and therefore are declared justified. They are declared righteous by God. All of those, all of those who pass through that court and are declared righteous by God will never have to face the court of God's condemnation. Therefore, there is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. But there is the court of condemnation in which God as a righteous judge will condemn forever in hell all of those who are not declared righteous by him in the court of justification. And so everyone, everyone will either be in the court of God's justification, declared righteous, or be in the court of God's condemnation and condemned forever. May the seriousness of that not leave you in some kind of neutral state where you simply hear what I've just said, but that you would see and understand the glorious mercy of God that is extended to all sinners who will come. That glorious message, that gospel that is proclaimed to all sinners who hear to come and to be declared righteous in God's sight through faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Paul says in Romans 8.33, who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. No one can bring a charge against one of God's elect for whom Jesus Christ has died. Not a single charge, not Satan can bring a charge that is going to stand before God because he's declared as righteous in Christ. Who is he? Paul goes on to say in verse 34, Romans 8, 34, who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died yea, rather, that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. We see here that Daniel refuses the reward offered to him by the king in verse 17. Daniel wants it to be very clear to the king and all who are present that he will read and he will interpret the writing not for some worldly honor or for some worldly gain, but in order to be faithful to the Lord, he will do so. He did not want this to be understood as him accepting a bribe from the king in doing and interpreting the the writing upon the wall. Though later on, as we'll read at the end of 
of this chapter in the next sermon, he does accept the honor. But after, not in order to be honored, but afterwards, Belshazzar gives him the honor because he did, in fact, interpret the writing on the wall, and Daniel accepts it. But Daniel accepts it again, I submit to you, that he might be in such a good standing when Cyrus, the king of the Medes and the Persians, becomes ruler of Babylon. There is Daniel, third in command. Basically, Nabonidus is not there. Belshazzar is slain, as we'll see. And so who is left is Daniel. And Daniel becomes, I believe, very instrumental in the life of Cyrus in setting God's people free to return back to their land, as God promised 70 years earlier would be the case. We're warned, dear ones, about accepting bribes in God's word. For example, in Psalm 26, verses 9 through 10, David prays, Gather not my soul with sinners, nor my life with bloody men, in whose hands is mischief, and their right hand is full of bribes. Likewise, in Proverbs 17, 23, A wicked man taketh a gift, a gift there refers to a bribe, a wicked man taketh a gift out of the bosom, secretly out of the bosom that is given as a bribe. It says, to pervert the ways of judgment. How many ministers are bribed and accept bribes to follow the desires of people whether in society at large or whether in their congregation, simply to follow the desires of people for some type of gain. In order to have more people, um, they accept a bribe, perhaps. Uh, They compromise. Uh, They bring entertainment uh, into uh, where God is to be worshipped. They tell funny stories and make jokes. Uh, they, they bring whatever gimmicks and tricks they can to build uh, buildings because they've been bribed. They change their positions because they have been bribed, not because God's word teaches something, but because they have been bribed. They accept bribes in order to stay longer uh, in a particular location. They accept bribes in order to gain more power within the church. They accept bribes for sexual encounters. Again, ministers, I submit to you, People in leadership, not only in the church, people in leadership in our country are on the take all of the time by way of bribes. They do what they do primarily, not out of conviction and principle, 
to God's law, God's word, but because they are beholding to people who bribe them in order for them to stay in office, in order for them to stay in power. What motivates the decisions that you make? What motivates the decisions that I make? Is it God's honor or is it our own honor? Is it our own gain that we make decisions only and based upon only how it will financially or in some other way relationally benefit us rather than upon what God says in his word. Like Daniel, let us do what we do because, dear ones, it is right. It's the right thing to do before God and according to his word, not because it will necessarily bring us any earthly gain. Most of the time, doing what God calls us to do not only does not bring us earthly gain, but brings us earthly sacrifice. But far better to sacrifice everything here in order to gain everything there in the glory of heaven. Daniel then recounts the dominion and power God gave to the great King Nebuchadnezzar, Belshazzar's father, or rather, most likely his grandfather, in verses 18 through 19. And he goes through again how God taught uh, Nebuchadnezzar. How God took Nebuchadnezzar uh, from being uh, the great king that he was uh, there, there was no human law over uh, Nebuchadnezzar there in Babylon. He was the law, Nebuchadnezzar. That's how mighty and powerful Nebuchadnezzar was. It was in Babylon, it was Rex Lex, the king is law, rather than Lex Rex, the law is king, as it ought to be. God's law ought to be king, under whom all authority, all rulers submit. But in Babylon, it was Rex Lex, the king is law. Whomever he chose to slay, he slew. Whomever he chose to keep alive, he determined who stayed alive. Whoever was promoted, whoever was demoted, it was all up to him. However, God and his law were over Nebuchadnezzar, and that's what he learned. Through God taking from Nebuchadnezzar the mind of a man, a brilliant mind, Nebuchadnezzar, a military genius, an architectural phenomenon, uh, that which he was able to to achieve uh, by way of building uh, in Babylon. Again, uh, a mighty ruler, but God took that brilliant mind from him and gave to him a mind of the beast so that he acted like 
one of the beasts of the field, as we read there. And Daniel reminds Belshazzar what God did to his father, Nebuchadnezzar. See, the same truth needs to be learned by the rulers today, that they are not absolute in power, as Nebuchadnezzar thought he was. But they are also today under God's authority and are called to be the minister of God to us for good, not for evil, according to Romans 13.4. Daniel then recalls the judgment. And we see that judgment that was brought upon Nebuchadnezzar in verses 20 through 21. So Daniel is here building his case, building his case as a prosecutor that this is what God did to your father, Nebuchadnezzar, because he would not humble himself before the one true living God. And now he comes to the conclusion in verses 22 through 24. In effect, in effect, Daniel says to Belshazzar, this is what the Most High God did to one far greater than you, your father, King Nebuchadnezzar. And yet you, Belshazzar, having knowledge of these events that were brought against your father because of his pride, because of his insolence, because of his rebellion against God, You've gone even farther than did your father by way of your outrageous, public, drunken party in which you dared and challenged the one true living God, wherein you profaned his holy name and blasphemed him and dared him, dared God to defend his own honor and dared him to judge you in what you were doing. And the Most High God has accepted now your challenge, your dare, and has crashed your party by way of this writing upon the wall. In verse 24. Dear ones, God has not given such warnings to leave with us as he did Belshazzar giving to him the warning of his, his grandfather, Nebuchadnezzar. God has not given to us such historical warnings, warnings from the past, just to scare us. That's not the reason, not just to scare us. It should put, again, a holy fear of God within us, for sure. But he's given us these historical warnings, as he did Belshazzar, going back and showing what happened to Nebuchadnezzar to teach us and to move us to flee from our sin, to flee from our rebellion, and to cast ourselves upon the mercy of God that is in Christ Jesus, because there is mercy there, there is safety there in Jesus Christ so that we might not have to suffer God's righteous and holy judgment. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10, 11, after speaking about the judgment that God brought upon Israel for their rebellion, 
and making that image of a calf of gold and worshiping that image there at the foot of Mount Sinai. And after that, Paul says, now all these things and the judgment God brought upon them at that time as well. Paul says, now all these things happened unto them for in samples, and they are written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world are come. They happened unto them for types of shadows of instruction to teach us that he's the same God that revealed himself to Israel, that judged Israel after God had revealed himself, delivered them, rescued them from bondage, and yet they turned against him. And they served other gods. And so here we see again, that's what God is doing through Daniel with Belshazzar, taking him back to Nebuchadnezzar. Learn. <coughs> Dear ones, let us learn in the school of Christ. Let us not despise what we have gone through or what others have gone through that we witnessed, that we have seen. Let us learn. Otherwise, we'll have to learn the same lessons. And as with Belshazzar, he was more accountable because he knew what had happened to Nebuchadnezzar and he did not change. He did not turn in mer to the mercy of God. And we become more accountable the more history that there is to which we can see how God has blessed his people in love and mercy when they have turned to him, but how he has judged them when they have rebelled against him. Let us learn, dear ones. Let us learn in the school of Christ from his, from his word and from his dealings in history rather than having to learn from his rod, which can be very, very severe. Amen. Please stand with me in prayer. <coughs> Heavenly Father, Thou art our teacher through Thy Spirit. And we, Lord, are in need of being taught. And the lessons, Lord, that we are to learn come from, a, come from not only what we read in thy word, but what thou hast providentially brought about in history, and how thou hast taught thy people, both in thy mercy and in thy judgment. Lord God, we, we plead with thee that our hearts might be softened from these things, that we would not be again those who are inattentive, who allow these lessons to, to go in one ear and out the other, uh, who observe and see with our eyes, but then forget with our minds. Lord, we pray that we might be those who are not just those who hear, but who do. 
who practice, uh, who truly learn. For to hear with our natural ears is not to learn. Lord, to practice and do what we have heard is to truly learn. May we be. That's what disciples means. Disciples, and to be a disciple, means that we are one uh, who is a learner, who is learning in the school of Christ. May we truly be the disciples of Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.